Welcome to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 25. In this episode, we have a chat with Frank Garcia from CVR Esports and Cyclogen, which is a really interesting crossover between traditional sports and esports in the fact that it's a physical cycling competition online. There are certain gamification parts of the program and, and the competition. There are some very traditional parts of it as well. And it's a really niche within a niche, but there's a lot of interesting discussion that we have in this podcast. And for those of you who are interested in traditional sports, uh, whether you're a competitor or just a watcher, I think you'll find some of this discussion very interesting about the physicality of it about how to get the crossover, how to get respect from the traditional markets and such as well. If you're looking for any of the show notes, which includes the questions, any links discussed or for our podcast guest, make sure you head to bigesports.gg forward slash 25. Also, if you're looking to learn a little bit more about the esports market yourself and to become involved, whether you're looking to upskill or enter the market from a fresh perspective, you can also head to bigesports.gg forward slash education and take a look at the courses we have on offer. One of the best things you can do for esports in Australia or abroad is support those companies that support you. What we do here in Australia at Big Esports is we've partnered with PLE Computers. They're a PC retailer that sell all of the best gaming gear. They also make a whole bunch of custom PCs, whether it's a full water-cooled massive rig to play Crisis at full graphics, or whether it's something nice and simple to take to LAN parties, play CSGO, Rocket League, Fortnite, or otherwise. They've got these different solutions for you. What we're doing with PLE is instead of just a general advertising partnership, we're trying to educate audiences and we're trying to grow the local scene. So PLE are working with us on our mentor courses where we're providing discount on both shipping and parts to the people that join in. We've partnered with them on our high school bootcamp where we're educating high school students on mental health, physical health and wellness, along with technology integration, understanding how they can take apart and build their own computers and save money on pre-builds. We're also working with them on this podcast, which we're hoping is educating all of you not only on just talking to cool people and understanding how they think and feel but what their struggles are how their businesses work and how the back end works so if you're looking to support a company that supports the scene make sure you check out ple at ple.com.au and grab yourself a bargain Frank, hello and welcome to the Big Esports Podcast, mate. It's great to have you on board. How are you? Very good. It's great to be here. I hear that there's a, a bit of a comparison between Melbourne and where you're located at the moment in Arizona in the fact that we're both very overcast, which is extremely normal for Melbourne, but a little bit abnormal for where you are. It is very abnormal for us. We get about uh, just a little over six inches of rain a year here. Jeez, well, it's probably pretty perfect for some outdoor activities. Yeah. I'd say. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, it's actually quite cool here. Um, by our standards at the moment. So I, I think, you know, kicking off this podcast, it's probably the easiest thing to get you to do is the same as what everyone else does. Is Can you let us know a little bit about your history inside and, and outside of esports and what your current position is today? Um, outside of um, esports, I started uh, as a software entrepreneur um, way back in the day before Windows even existed. Uh, so that'll date me a little bit. And uh, then I got involved. Uh, I was a cyclist as well. And then later in life, um, my son uh, was very big into Dota and introduced me to esports. And that's how I got involved in uh, esports and uh, pursuing esports as a, as a company. Fantastic, Dota. So, so was he a, um, a Dota competitor at all? Or? Uh, he did compete. Uh, he was never as good as he wanted to be. 
Uh, so, you know, not not a name that you would know, but it's, it's kind of a funny story because um, he was young at the time and he came to me and he, he wanted to send ten dollars to Dota. And uh, I asked him why he needed to use my credit card. And uh, it was his money. Right. I, I made him give me the ten dollars. But mm. he, he explained to me that he wanted to send ten dollars so that other people could win a prize purse. That's like literally how he phrased it to me. And I was like, gee, son, we need to sit down and talk about economics. And <laughs> that doesn't seem like the best economic plan. And and uh, we, we did that. Uh, and, and he still wanted to send the 10 bucks. And uh, so I thought, well, you know, I'll teach him a lesson and we'll send the 10 bucks and it'll be a waste of money. And I'll be able to say a little bit later on, um, see, I told you so. Mm. Um, and instead, it worked the other way. Uh, what I you know, immediately gathered was he got a tremendous amount of enjoyment and entertainment out of his ten dollars, and he was he was literally bought in, right, uh, both figuratively and literally, hmm. um, into you know sort of the Dota tournament, and this just clicked with me, uh, and I said, hmm, I think this is uh, something I want to uh, pursue as a business, and uh, so he still he still razzes me about that. Yeah, fantastic, and you know, for, for those who aren't quite aware of the of the way that dota works uh which is a personal one of the personal favorite esport games of mine is is that crowdfunding model has been so successful for them in you know raising the world's largest prize pool for i think the last three or four years in a row including you know 20 25.6 million usd or thereabouts that was won last year at the international and you know hopefully they can beat it again this year and it's yeah it's it's great to see that you didn't take i guess the um the cliche parent thing is, you know, get off the computer while you're playing games. So I guess I can definitely see the entrepreneurial mindset from you from the beginning saying, okay, you know, let's, let's take this as a, as a fatherly lesson to begin with, but actually there, there might be something here and diving into it. Is that, is that kind of the, the thinking that you were going through at the time? Absolutely. Um, it, you know, and it was, uh, it's a world I didn't even really know existed, um, and, mm. you know, and I think this, it's the new world, right? So, uh, my son later, you know, graduated from university with a, you know, computer science, a mathematics degree. And, uh, so, you know, one might've thought he was playing too much Dota, um, at the time. And I'm not sure Dota is, you know, uh, his mathematical aptitude, but, uh, but certainly a very eye-opening experience, uh, through my son and, and just seeing the new world, right? Uh, 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 not being so old myself, because uh, you know, I didn't even know esports existed mm. before that. I mean, it just wasn't even a thing. You know, gaming to me was, I mean, I played video games when I was young, actually. I was uh, a gamer back in the day uh, when, like, Super Mario came out, right? <laughs> or Mario. I don't even think it was Super Mario back then. But, mm. uh, you know, I, that that world it was lost to me, and, and he brought it back. Yeah, I'm starting to, I guess, after doing this this podcast for quite a while now, and you know, kind of working in this space, I'm coming to the conclusion that esports is the world's biggest niche. Um, and I think that you're, you know, obviously you're operating with a niche within a niche. So can can you let the listeners know a little bit about what CVR Esports is and, and what your company does? Um, absolutely. So uh, CVR World Cup, uh, CVR Cyclogen Esports, if you will, is the actual company behind the brand. Uh, what we do is on a global scale. So we've had events in London and Paris and Los Angeles and Vancouver and Las Vegas as examples. Um, we pull people, uh, first of all, you know, the standard sort of esports, uh, right? You have tournaments and leagues uh, online, and then you have these big events uh, where you bring people together and 
uh, you know, have a major competition. Mm -hmm. uh, what's different about us is it is both gaming and physical. So you have athletes, uh, world-class athletes um, participating in these events and going all out um, in the events themselves. And one of the unique things that uh, makes us sort of different than the traditional sports is even though these people are moving, right, they're making a physical effort and they're, you know, they're pedaling their bikes and they're standing up and they're sprinting and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. they're not moving through space and they're not having to wear sort of all the protective gear. And so we can get up close and personal and we can see, you know, literally the, the sweat dropping off their brow. You can see the pain in their faces when they're suffering. You can see the elation when they cross the finish line first. And then we tie that into a gamified experience so that you're also seeing the game uh, like you would in a more traditional esports setting. And how does the hardware for something like this work? Like if I wanted to, you know, head along tomorrow and, and compete in your next uh, international qualifier circuit, what would I need to purchase? Uh, so there is a trainer uh, and, the, and the bike trainer uh, can be wheel on or wheel off, but I won't get, you know, I won't get complicated about that. So that you put your bike on a device and that device turns your pedaling, if you will, into ones and zeros that get sent to the game that tell the game how hard you're going, how much power you're putting out um, through your pedals, and then your avatar moves in-game uh, based on uh, that uh, conversion from your analog effort to the to the digital space. And then we do a few things beyond that with, you know, steering and crashing and power-ups and, you know, those sorts of things. And, and because we're able to digitally processed signals, one of the things that's special is we can normalize, if you will, efforts. Mm -hmm. And so people of varying powers can ride together and compete together uh, in what we call a physical equalization space. Mm, okay. So I guess, you know, playing devil's advocate for a minute, this is the, the standard response you get from people who don't understand esports to say, well, it's not hard because it's all digital. Um, you know, you're just clicking a mouse. Or in your example, you could say, you know, it, it's not hard because they're just inside. They're not worried about crashing. There's no wind or hills to go up or down. So where does the difficulty factor come in for, for CVR? Um, well, we've been referred to um, on the streaming platforms as... Uh, you know, the hardest video game ever. Um, so that'll sort of, um, you know, give a sense of mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, what's happening. Uh, and there is difference. So you can't crash, uh, but there is also this element that you can go harder because of that. Mm. So uh, we've had a lot of professional riders, as an example, come in and try and ride. And when you ride, uh, a lot of times in the normal world, you coast a lot. Like, uh, it's not that you're always coasting, but uh, you do, like, you get behind somebody and you sort of can stop pedaling for a bit. Mm. And that gets to be different in this environment um, because you don't crash in the same way, right? You're not um, physically at risk. And so you, you'll take a corner harder. And so generally, everyone will take the corner harder. And um, so uh, there's some trade-offs, obviously. Uh, not crashing is both a benefit and, you know, takes away some of the, the risk of sport um, as well. So uh, kind of 50-50 on that. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. For, for me, I guess like a traditional analogy would be like using resistance bands versus lifting a weight. Because the way that gravity works, you know, if you're doing a bench press or an overhead press, there's certain places where you can rest the bar. 
and where it takes the stress off you, just like you're talking about coasting. However, if you're using, you know, resistance band, the resistance is there 100% of the time. So it sounds like it's quite similar here is that you don't have physical hills to go up or down or wind that will blow harder or softer, but you're just going as hard as you can ultimately the whole time from start to finish. Um, that's true. Now, the physics engine, uh, so we actually have wind um, in the game. And so uh, you can set that up for different events or, or whatnot. So you do feel that and you actually feel that in your legs. So you feel when you go up a hill, mm -hmm. it gets harder. When you go down a hill, it gets easier. If you have wind behind you, if you have a tailwind, then, um, you know, you get that sensation of being out on a bike. It's easier to pedal and it's, mm -hmm. you know, maybe some of the most fun you'll spend on a bike is to have a big tailwind and just go really fast. So uh, you get those sensations in the game as well. Like it's a super common way that people get into esports business is generally through being a competitor in the market. So obviously you're a sports and esports hybrid. So where does your history come from with knowledge of this space? Uh, so I did a lot of cycling, competitive cycling, uh, you know, around the U.S. Uh, it's not like I'm a world tour pro or anything like that, but uh, really understood the cycling industry. And I think I, I like how you said, you know, esports is the world's biggest niche because mm. that's a great way to explain it because sports is a huge industry, right? Uh, you know, uh, anywhere between, you know, six, seven hundred billion to a trillion, 1.2 trillion, depending on who you, who you ask. So sports is this mm -hmm. immense industry. And, uh, and I think the reason there's so much excitement around esports is a lot of that industry, um, is going to transition to, um, esports and, you know, maybe both industries will just grow. I should, I mean, the transition's the wrong inappropriate word, but esports is going to be, um, very big along with sports. You see that in, you know, NBA team owners and NFL team owners, you know, already getting on the, the esports bandwagon. You know, they recognize it for what it is. And then, of course, you have gaming, which is absolutely huge mm. um, and growing very rapidly. And and this is the fusion um, of those two entities. And it is, you know, terribly exciting times uh, for what we see, you know, coming. And this is uh, when you combine them both, and we talked about sort of the physical suffering and the physical effort that, that people are making, um, as opposed to just, you know, sitting and clicking on your controller, although, you know, there's some of that as well, but um, it's those two things, um, you know, put together. And you can sort of think of this as, uh, let's say you took a standard game like Dota, and now we said, we're going to add this physical exertion as a, as a point to that. And what you see just like in real sports is people get fatigued and they get tired and they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for instance, in CVRK, they're coming up on a corner and, you know, they've got everything won and you think it's, you know, it's all over. And then they just simply make a mistake. They go in a little too hot and they wreck um, because they're getting pressured from someone behind. And it just adds a whole nother dimension to the story. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's a really good tie into my next question is that, is do you see CVR as a competitor to traditional cycling, or more like a competitor, or, or something that sits alongside it? We actually think we're going to drive more people um, into competitive cycling um, over time. So we don't really see ourselves as a competitor. Um, that being said, you know different aspects of cycling, you know, enjoy just like anything in in life, uh, different sort of ebbs and flows, and we see. Uh, you know, some uh, ebbs, if you will, uh, out in the marketplace. And we think we'll be able to capitalize on that. It's sort of the whole distracted driver thing, right? So in, in my day, 
I never really feared riding on the road. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's, you know, I'm older and it bothers me more or I'm just aware that there's more distracted drivers. That kind of thing sort of uh, makes me less prone to ride on the road. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we see uh, sort of a combination. But once you get involved and you get competitive and, you know, you understand how to draft and you understand how to do an echelon and those sorts of things, then I think a certain percentage of people will want to try that also in real life, as they say. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's a definitely a good point. And, and like you said about the, the dangers of riding on the road, I think that, uh, you know, I'm a motorbike rider myself. And um, yeah, it's definitely something you have to be hyper aware of as people trying to cut you off or just simply not seeing you because they're distracted or they don't pay attention or otherwise. But it'd help everyone if they spent a week or two as a cyclist or a motorbike rider on a road. I think it's makes you a much better driver. <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I remember when I was uh, back to my son, I was teaching my son to cycle because, uh, you know, we did a lot of that. And and I, <laughs> it was so funny. I, I guess I was so hyper about it when I was teaching him. I actually really did make him hyper aware. And it was funny because you'd be riding with him and he'd notice a car pulling out of a you know, a a street or a garage or something like way too early, you know, and he'd sort of call it out to everybody. And I actually had to sort of on train that a little bit. Like, Mm. uh, so it's amazing how vigilant you can get if you practice it. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. And and for anyone who's listening to the podcast as well, um, you can check out any, any links to what we're talking about, including, you know, setups and, and um, Frank's company, at bigesports.gg forward slash 25. So if you need to pause and go and have a look at what we've talked about already, that's perfectly fine. But Frank, what I what I wanted to cover next, I guess, is is talking a little bit about your demographics age and, and who's competing in your market right now. So, you know, obviously with traditional esports, there's a lot of talk about there's a lack of female representation. There's, there's a few um, bits and bobs of statistics that say there is quite a lot of female... T- participation in traditional games and not across to esports i'd be really interested to learn from you what the average age and male female split is in traditional cycling versus your you know online cycling versus esports and try to understand you know what's the flow through there from those three um you know great question so first of all um cvr world cup has been uh treated the genders equally from the get-go uh, and it's created some interesting press for us. To give you an example, last year, CVR World Cup, um, the major, uh, which uh, happened in uh, March or April um, of last year, paid uh, what is the biggest prize purse to a female cyclist um, anywhere in the world. And that includes like, you know, Tour de France and all that sort of thing um, as well. So, mm. so that's the first thing to sort of understand. And uh, the male got paid the same um, and he would have been, uh, let's say 13th um, if he won the, you know, if he was 13th place in the Tour de France. So that gives you sort of a sense already what esports is driving in the cycling community, right? There's these huge prize purses that are building just like in standard esports. And I think the business model for cycling esports, if you will, what we call physical esports, is much better uh, than the standard cycling model. It's one of the reasons I also took this on. So you, you have, uh, you know, some other people who are hooking up with the the old guard, if you will, the UCI, and uh, you know, that sort of thing in cycling. So sort of taking the old guard from the road and putting them, you know, into the virtual bits. And our idea is to do something um, completely different and from the get-go set it up better for the athletes and the teams and because um, cycling has a, a, a sort of a strange 
sponsorship model, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that exists. Uh, now, so uh, if I look at the demographics, a late 30s is typical right now. Um, and we think that's going to be driven down over time to much younger subsets um, through a couple of different um, initiatives in the marketplace. But that's where it is right now. In the standard cycling world, you know, let's say it's 85% male and it's that's true online. And then you get to esports, and I wouldn't say it's closer to 50 50, um, but it's an awful lot better. So maybe, uh, you know, 70 30 or something like that. And what and we see tremendous potential um, in the uh, female version of the esports. Uh, and what we've seen is we actually get higher viewership. Um, for the female versions of our World Cups. Hmm. And so uh, we think that'll drive that even more as we go forward. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And I, I wanted to ask you again about, you, you were saying that you can kind of uh, inherently put a handicap within the game. So does that mean that you'll be looking at female competitors competing against males in the same, or are they still, are they still sectioned off? Um, so uh, both, uh, but you'll see a lot more of us sort of... Um, uh, not paying attention to gender because of this equalization piece. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see most of our events will be of the type where you see males and females uh, riding and racing together. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting. And that that's a, I mean, that's a wider discussion and probably not necessarily for this podcast, but yeah, I've been interested to read some of that wider discussion around, you know, esports, traditional esports not being as physical. So, so, you know, men and women competing in the same tournaments. And it's really interesting to see now through esports, you know, you can put that handicap into the digital software to ensure that they are on an equal playing field and it comes into, you know, how well they've trained and, and not, you know, what they were born as. So yeah, I find that very interesting indeed. Well, and it's one of the interesting aspects of that, one of the things that we noticed very early on, and this is even before physical equalization uh, was a thing and, and we had separate events, is that one of the things that's very interesting about this up close and personal thing that I was talking about earlier is that you could see the effort mm. and you could see the suffering uh in the women that you saw in the men, mm-hmm. right? And and so I think when you get up close and personal, it, it seems very similar, right? You know, at a further distance, things can, you know, sort of change and people have got, you know, helmets on and they've got, uh, you know, sunglasses on and it's, you know, sort of hard to read all of that stuff. And so mm-hmm. uh, we think this is going to be huge going forward. And then to have, uh, you know, people of different genders, all competing together and, you know, showing off their skill and showing off their physical ability. uh, We're just very excited about. So I wanted to expand a bit on what you were talking about before. So you mentioned cycling has a, has a weird and and different um, advertising model, marketing model and sponsorship model. Could you, could you expand on that a little bit? What traditional cycling is and how it's different to traditional sports? Sure. Um, So the, you know, the first thing to note is cycling as a sport has been around, forever, it seems, <laughs> but, but let's say, over, you know, much, well, let's say over a century, but over a century. Mm. And for instance, uh, maybe people don't realize this, but the uh, cycling was created to sell newspapers. Um, and it's actually where the yellow jersey comes from in the Tour de France. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the light pink colored jersey uh, comes for, uh, you know, in Italy. Th- that was actually the color of the newspapers. Mm. And it really started as an advertising medium. 
And, you know, these people would, you know, be riding around and, you know, of course you would see them and, and whatnot. And it's, so it always has been, uh, it didn't really start as an entertainment medium per se, right? It, it started out as this advertising medium. And so you, the, the way that the teams formed was strictly around sponsors. And so you get these sponsors and they would want to, you know, basically it was an advertising play and the, you know, the newspapers would, would advertise these sponsors. And so you had these sponsors putting in even to today, phenomenal sums of money, right? Tens of millions of dollars a year to support a team. And there's no real team ownership uh, like you see in other sports, right? So in other sports, uh, you know, there's a team ownership and then that team ownership, you know, sells tickets and they sell, um, you know, media rights and, you know, all those sorts of things. And in traditional cycling, none of that accrues to the team. Um, it, it typically accrues to the sponsors. And what that means is it's a hard model for the athletes to be as successful in. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a sort of a strange combination because, uh, in a sense, the owners in these other sports, um, there's something to sort of negotiate against, if you will. Mm -hmm. And you can, um, you know, have a union or, uh, you know, other ways of interacting with, the ownership to uh, get more share of, of what's being had. But when it's the sponsorship and they're just put, you know, pouring in tons of money for advertising, you know, it's hard to convince them to just spend another couple of million dollars. I mean, they're not really making money, if you will. It's more the, you know, the UCI and the ASO making money. Um, and so those organizations are a little bit different. So we look to structure uh, what we're doing in esports more towards traditional esports and traditional sports, if you will. Yeah, I find it interesting thinking exercise about, you know, traditional sports as a whole, especially something like cycling has been around for so long and with esports being so new, what can we reflect on that they've done well and what can we reflect on that needs to be fixed? And, you know, while we're creating our own market here, which which we are, you know, we can work on those things and, and hopefully, you know, nip any issues in the bud before they before they exist. Yeah, and if you look at esports, you know, traditionally, so let's take Dota, right? You have these crowdfunded models and and you have these teams that are the athletes, right? I mean, um, I talked a little bit more about traditional sports and team ownership, but we also see in traditional sports that it's just big prize purses. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons if you look, we've been able to provide such large large prize purses by comparison to traditional cycling. Now, the difference is those teams get paid, right, sort of on a weekly pay, you know, <laughs> um, mm. uh, you know, more like a typical payroll, right? So yep. you get paid, you know, uh, every couple of weeks or whatever, um, however the teams arrange it. But there isn't these big prize purses. And so we're very excited about esports being much more open, right, uh, much more approachable by people in real life. And we're already starting to see in esports that we identify people who are very talented physically, but who just never had the time to sort of get noticed by someone or to put in the amount of time. And so, uh, you know, these people can sort of zoom up and become stars. And we like that aspect of what we're doing in esports, right? Not Let's not get the, the pros, the people who have already realized their dreams, but this is about helping people to realize their dreams that, you know, didn't even know, maybe they didn't even know they had this dream yet. But once they play the game and, and uh, you know, show aptitude, then the, then the dream comes like other esports, right? Mm. Uh, you know, as well. What are some of the major roadblocks and hurdles that, 
that you've come across from the foundation of CVR until now? Has it been has it been adoption issues? Because it seems like there is a bit of a cost inherently involved with people, you know, becoming a part of this sport. So there are certainly barriers to entry, um, and I think those will come down um, over time. But I think it's one of the reasons that uh, the demographic is a little bit older, right? Um, some of this stuff is expensive, right? Mm. It's it's hard to go, uh, you know, to mom and dad and say, okay, I think I want to spend, you know, $2,000 on a setup in order to play a game, <laughs> right? That's That can be a little bit of a hard sell for, for someone who's younger. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we see those costs being driven down dramatically. Um, we're also putting together some initiatives where you can play the game um, non-physically as well to sort of understand the game and, you know, get people excited about it and then transition um, to the physical side. We see those prices um, being driven down significantly, but, uh, you know, certainly, uh, currently there's a barrier to entry and, uh, we see that being pushed down, uh, let's say over the, over the arc of the next, um, I would say eight to 12 months, um, significantly. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. And are there, have there been any issues around, um, you know, getting people to take you seriously in the market, whether sponsors or traditional sports people? Um, actually, uh, the cycling market has been um, particularly receptive. Uh, so uh, we've had a you know a good go of it there, and I think that uh, part of the reason for that is cycling struggles in many ways because of that sponsorship model that I was talking about mm. um, earlier. And I th- I think uh, you know it's, it's kind of interesting. You have the old guard. I mean, obviously cycling's been around for more than a hundred years, so they've got to be doing something right. And if you're part of the old guard, you know, that's what you would point to, you know, we, we've made it this far and it's not like they don't change at all. Right. They do, they do make some changes mm-hmm. um, over time, but it's still pretty similar. Right. Um, there's, there's a lot of rules in that. And then you have the, the sort of the avant-garde and, you know, they're definitely pushing, you know, into esports and they see this and there's, you know, there's certain challenges around that. Like, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We tended to, to hold our events in velodromes and, you know, the, then you get comments online from the sort of the uh, traditionalists, shall we say, it would be like, you're in a velodrome, you should be riding your bikes on a velodrome. Mm. And we're like, you know, you kind of missed the point. <laughs> mm. and, um, uh, and, and so it's, it's, you know, it's an interesting mix uh, with regards to that. So taking a step uh, into a different direction and kind of talking about the business and, and entrepreneurial side of it, do you, do you have many competitors in the market? And do you see that as a good thing? Has there been someone else to help pave the path for you? Or have you kind of had to go out on your own and, and create this niche within a niche by yourself? The uh, two things are happening in the market. Um, uh, uh, there is a number of organizations that are coming. Um, some have had much more traction than others. Um, and so there's some already some fairly big players, right? And, and the reason I say fairly big players is they're big enough companies, but sort of by esports or gaming, let's say, you know, by gaming standards, they're not very big um, yet, but they have, you know, let's say a couple hundred thousand users, right? Um, so not, you know, puny, but not large um, in that sense. But those would be sort of the top watermark. And then there's um, several smaller organizations, but there's this explosion coming of companies, you know, entering into this, what we call physical esports space, right? 
And we see that happening more and more. And so you also get companies like Peloton, uh, you know, sort of uh, it's, a, it's a different space, right? Because they're not in esports yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're coming um, to the sort of the esports realm of things. Mm-hmm. And so you have this physical digital combination. Um, you, you have this like mirror product um, where you can sort of, you know, do out, um, mm-hmm. you know, workouts in front of a mirror, like you went to the gym and you can see other people and they can see you, um, in the mirror, so to speak. Uh, so it's a very, very interesting space and we just see it exploding, um, in, you know, many different directions. Yeah. Fantastic. So, you know, creating, creating a brand from the ground up in the new space, if, if someone's looking to create a business, let's say whether it's in esports or, or even otherwise what's your what's your path to success what do you do initially from thinking okay i want to make a big business what comes next uh, i think the first step is to understand the market to be market driven so I, I think that's the first element right you have to be market driven you have to understand what the market wants it can't just be about what you want um you know some organizations have success with that for a while um because they happen to you know, coincide. But over the long arc, you need to be, you know, driven by the consu- consumer. You also have to have vision, right? Where are you going? Mm-hmm. Why are you going there? And, and you can also um, lead people to new experiences. But um, it's a healthy combination of those two, not, uh, you know, one-sided or the other. Um, and I tend to look at the market and uh, let's say you're going to build a World Cup brand uh, as an example. Uh, well, then you have to be true to the brand, right? The brand has to live up to its promise. So, you know, it would have been easier to hold our, all of our events uh, much easier in Tucson, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, we've never had a real event in Tucson. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're always going off to London and Paris and Vancouver. And uh, we actually hope to to um, uh, do Sydney and Tokyo um uh, here in short order um, as well, and uh, nothing against Melbourne, by the way, uh, you know, might <laughs> might be a great place um, as well. I, I uh, um, Australia is one of my favorite places, and I I truly love Sydney, and I haven't spent enough time in Melbourne to to to, to form an opinion yet. But um, everybody I talk to loves Melbourne. But anyway, uh, so to sort of take this and first make it truly you know, a world spectacle um, and to have people competing from all over the world. Uh, So, you know, meeting the brand promise and then to understand the market. So to understand esports is to understand that it is um, about money. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, it's it's kind of funny because in the cycling community, you you know, you have sort of the anti, um, shall shall I call them anti-money types? You know, maybe, hey, I do this for the, you know, the pleasure of doing it and, and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And yeah. uh, we think that's absolutely, you know, fine and great. And we um, also have things in the game that cater to those people. But when it comes to esports, it's, you know, big prize purses and competition and the excitement built around that. And, mm-hmm. you know, that that's understanding esports as an, as, as an example. Yeah, fantastic. So I guess, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about your fit in the market competitors what you do, what I'd really like to know is what's your general pitch when people ask you, what, what problem are you solving? What, what's your position in the market? Well, I think it, it's twofold. Um, right now, what you tend to see from the other people who are doing physical esports is they tend to try and maybe go more towards the simulation, 
right? So, uh, and, and you ride a, a motorbike and there's obviously motorbike games that do simulations and then motor cars, right? You know, racing, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, whether it's oval racing like NASCAR, that, that kind of thing, or mm-hmm. road racing. Uh, and those tend to be simulations, like, you know, pure simulations as close to real life as you can get them. And that's what we see most of in the physical esports world, right? Uh, and we're very different than that. So we we start with a great physics engine that you know emulates the real world, if you will. But then we you know pile on you know power ups and you know tractor beams and you know think of it more as you know truly gamified, mm-hmm. um, a true game. So we're doing a mix of that, okay. and so that's probably. Uh, differentiation point number one. And then the second point, which we think is really critical, is these other ones that are doing simulation. Like, I couldn't really ride with my wife, right? Because um, I've been riding bikes all my life, and, um, you know, she's not that fond of riding a bike up a hill, right? So, um, you know, her fitness level and her um, acuity for cycling is different than mine, um, but we like doing things together. And physical equalization means that we can, right? We can enjoy riding together without me pushing her to go too hard and without me, you know, being worried about, you know, trying to go slow, so slow that it's not enjoyable um, for me. And it's just a different experience. And, you know, maybe a better example of that is like kids. Um, so we can get kids of varying abilities to have fun in the game and be doing physical activity and making the same efforts. And we're very excited about the possibilities there. Yeah, I think I'm I'm seeing a lot of similarities between you know other esports, non-sport, and and um, yeah, non-cycling esports as a whole. Is it's the accessibility is the main aspect of it that it doesn't matter as much about what your socioeconomic background is, or doesn't matter as much about what your what your gender, how much you weigh, how fit you are, etc. That you can then still compete on an equal playing field. You know, if you're playing with a keyboard and, and mouse, you know, you, you don't need legs because you don't have to run and tackle people on a field, for example, as a very crude example. And it seems quite similar for this. You know, you can do things you weren't able to do before, such as, you know, I guess ride with your four-year-old child who there's no way that they can keep up with you if you've been competing around the world, right? But maybe you can in a virtual arena because you're able to, um, yeah you know, implement that handicap as we mentioned before. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing that you said that. So we, we had, um, one of our users, uh, was sharing with us the other day and, uh, he was, uh, on a different platform and he was like, you know, I can never ride with my kids. Uh, he's got two girls and it's like, I can never ride with my kids because of the problem I was talking about earlier. It would either be too slow for him or too fast for them. And, and they were young kids. And, and so he was like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, try this physical equalization thing. And, um, and and two things happen. So, you know, he gets on and he's having a great time with his kids, but one of his kids was sick. And uh, so she couldn't, she couldn't ride. And mm-hmm. uh, we have a controller mode only, the, the sort of the demo mode, if you will, that I was talking about earlier. So, you know, she sat down and, you know, played on the computer. Uh, you know, his daughter was physically equalized on a bike and he was on a bike and the three of them had a great time. And, and you know, so you've hit the nail right on the head there, right? Like all these people can play together and, uh, you know, have some great family time, you know, enjoy each other. You know, that's really what we're after um, in terms of the game. So taking the discussion back once again to the uh, comparisons between traditional sport and esports, what, what are your major monetization avenues with CVR and, and how does that provide you an advantage compared to traditional esports or sport? So you, you have the sort of more traditional 
Now, I don't even know if that's more traditional, right? But you, you certainly have people in sport who are used to paying for sponsorships. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's an advantage because you're not having to convince them to spend money on something totally new. Like it's not sort of outside the realm of their, um, you know, thinking, right? They already mm-hmm. spend money on sports. Um, and because you're already kind of a sport, it almost is a, I wouldn't call it an easy sell, but they get it now, right? I mean, esports is a thing and games are a thing and now you're combining the two, you know, that that element um, makes it easier. And then the way that we look at monetization, we're free to play. And uh, that's one of the things that separates us from our competition as well. Uh, we're the only free to play competition out there in the physical esports space. And uh, and so there you'll see us more traditional gaming revenues, uh, you know, cosmetics. Um, but we also have some hybrids there. So uh, what I call, they're not really subscriptions, but you buy a pass, you know, all off Fortnite or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in the game, it behaves a little bit more uh, like a subscription, a mini subscription, if you will, where you have access to workouts or, um, you know, different functionality of the of the program. Um, and so that's how we monetize. Yeah, fantastic. So do you, do you find that, um, you know, people in the traditional sports space do see you as a competitor, whether publicly or privately. You, you said that, you know, that they, they seem to be quite open to it, but has there been any issues where, you know, sponsors have decided to, to go with traditional instead of others or wanted to stay out of it because of possible conflicts? Well, I think there's, um, you, you sort of have these two pieces with regards to cycling. So you, you've got the sponsors um, and, uh, you know, you have some sponsors who are sort of in the game already, you know, they make trainers and even though they make stuff for, you know, more, the more traditional side of the sport as well, they do this. And so they're, they're sort of natural entrance to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, sort of this other tier, which are people who, um, they're not really elitist. I, I want to, I want to use the word elitist, but I want to be careful here. What I mean by elitist is a lot of these games are about being physical, Right. I mean, they're first and foremost about your physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, if you were to you know, get into their forums and groups and all of that, it would be about, you know, what you eat and how you eat. And, you know, if you didn't eat right, you'd be frowned upon. And, you know, if you weighed a little bit too much, I don't know if they would, you know, quote unquote frown on you. But basically, you know, that's not a good thing in these um, environments. You want to be as light as you possibly can be and and, and that sort of thing. And so uh, there's a tier of sponsors who really cater to those people. And anything you do to sort of reduce that, you know, sort of I, I don't I, it's, you know, it's hard for me to 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 name it, but that strata of people who are highly focused, let's call mm. them hyper-focused on fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, those sponsors would not care too much for what we're doing, you know. Uh, and then you sort of have the the pro stuff, uh, which we're making inroads into, but you still have some of the pros, like you can't crash, and, you know, this isn't like real life, and, you know, and they spent their um, lives. I, I raced, I was a sprinter, and so you crashed a lot, and you took chances, and there, there were big risks, and you know, sometimes that's how you won. You were willing to take a risk when somebody else wasn't. And it's, a, you know, it's a little bit different, um, you know, in, in the physical world. And then you get to sort of the old guard, which is um, some of these other organizations that really sort of want to dampen what's happening, um, you know, in the in this space, because uh, to the degree that they might lose control, that scares them to the degree that they think they can control it. And you see those plays being made with other companies. Right. Then they'll be then they'll embrace it. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of there's definitely a lot of similarities there between Dota, which we talked about, which you could say is one of the more traditional or pure esports, and a newer one like Fortnite, where there's a lot of the the old guard say that you know Fortnite isn't it isn't an esport because of various reasons. There's too much randomness. It's not a control environment with X versus X. It's it's you know lots of people in groups. It depends on the weapon drops, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, there's definitely some. You know, some similar discussions happening between you and, you know, the, the gamification of cycling and real cycling versus traditional esports and new new wave esports, I guess you could call them. Yeah, well, and I think what's interesting about that, right, is that, and, and you know, save for my son, I wouldn't even realize this, we're, we can already have traditional esports, right? <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Um, shows how fast, the, you know, the world is moving. Mm, yeah. But absolutely, you, you sort of get these people who are used to, it a certain way and that way is good and they've, they've, they've enjoyed it. And then, you know, change, is that good? Is it bad? You know, Fortnite is, you know, uh, sort of a, a force onto itself and mm -hmm. the social aspects and, you know, all of that. I mean, I think people get into the game sometimes, you know, not so much to play it as they do just to be able to socialize in that. And so mm -hmm. that, you know, uh, certainly that's a, an interesting aspect of Fortnite. Yeah. Extremely interesting piece and I, and I really wish I remembered who wrote this um, so I could credit them but it was someone someone in the Australian um, traditional sports market who's breaching into esports I think talked about this and they were saying that Fortnite is the place where their kids hang out it's no longer you know around the water cooler or, or at the local arcade or milk bar or skate park but Fortnite is where the kids go just to talk to each other and the game is a secondary for them it's their place of hanging out yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, I think I've mentioned my son too much. I'm going to have to send him some, uh, uh, you know, present or something. But it, <laughs> he, he, he was really into PUBG as well. And so when Fortnite came out, he was like, eh. Um, and I talked to him a little while later and I was like, you know, are you playing, you know, PUBG or Fortnite? Because I, I like to try and keep, you know, my finger on the pulse of the market. And mm -hmm. he's like, oh, it's all Fortnite. Mm. And I was like, oh, really? You know, what changed? And he's like, well, there's cross play and you know, we can play, you know, with our friends on the phone. But basically, you know, the upshot of that was everybody could get into Fortnite and that was the place that everybody went. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so as you look at being successful in this market, you start to think about things like cross-play. And, you know, we're talking a little bit more here about the business model, but mm -hmm. um, it's a very interesting social aspect. So, for instance, the other thing uh, that we've added to um, CV Arcade is the ability to build your own tracks and, decorate them. And, you know, it's also a way that we monetize, mm -hmm. um, but it's a way that you can extend and, you know, modify the game. And then you can have these spaces where you can come together and chat with people on these different tracks. And, you know, so there's social aspects as well. So, uh, you know, definitely keeping an eye out on the market for those types of things. So right now with CVR, it seems like your general customer flow is, is someone who's already interested and competing in cycling will come across to your platform. How long do you think it's going to be before we see a reverse of that, that people are introduced to cycling through CVR or your software and then progress onto cycling afterwards? Um, let me be conservative and say 12 to 24 months. Um, I think there's potential for it to happen. No, I mean, that's probably about right. I, I think it's going to be a two-phase process. So what you're going to see first is um, this explosion from streaming and platforms where uh, people start coming to the game and participating in it and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being part of the esports excitement and, you know, winning money and, you know, those sorts of things. And you'll sort of have this influx of people who are already on systems and already have um, conquered the barrier to entry, right? They have the trainers and whatnot. Then you'll have this inflow from the gaming community 
and then you'll have an explosion of people expanding out into the physical realms, uh, which I think will be good on so many levels, right? I think that's good for families and kids and, you know, well, adults for that matter. Uh, you know, let's do something fun and get fit, uh, you know, sort of as a byproduct. Mm. And that really ties me in well to my next question is, is that the esports market as a whole right now, there's a lot of discussion around issues of proving ROI, especially on the team's aspect and the tournament's aspect of saying that, you know, the sponsors are coming back and saying, look, it's no longer just about reach and brand recognition. Everyone knows who we are, but we want to link it to sales. Do you find similar issues with CVR or is that kind of alleviated through the fact that it's so closely tied to cycling that people are likely to purchase anyway? I, I think that's... Um... I think that's alleviated. Uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting problem. So you, uh, even in in our space in this physical esports space, what you see is um, people who might be spending lots of marketing dollars. Let's say like a more traditional game, right? Like just you know, buku bucks um, and pushing the marketing, and maybe are only dipping their toes into esports or haven't even dip their toes into esports yet. And then uh, we would come at it from a different direction, which is to build the excitement around esports. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that's almost more like a, a marketing um, ploy. And, and the reason I mention that is I think what's happening to these other organizations is the same was true of them. That's how they became big. But then you start to hit these astronomical numbers right? Um, that sponsors are paying. And it's like, okay, mm. but are we really growing anymore? Right. Um, and, you know, and, and Fortnite's, you know, soaking up enough oxygen in the space, right. That, that people start to have to ask these questions um, because they've stunted the growth um, of other organizations. And so I think that's where that question becomes, what is the ROI on these huge tournaments um, and these huge payouts? And, you know, what, what are we getting for, our dollars, and so I think when you get to that upper end, it becomes more of a question than uh, you know, sort of when you're at the lower ends. Mm. So, uh, taking back to the entrepreneurial mindset, I guess, and I want to touch on scalability. So, you know, how do you see your company breaching into any new markets? Do you think there's something outside of cycling for CVR? Uh, there's tremendous potential, and we see other competitors sort of pursuing that, right? So you've got, um, you know, like Peloton. Uh, is uh, you know sort of broaching the, not broaching. They're they're doing running as well, and it it's easy to see uh, that a game like ours could branch into that. Um, I think we're going to uh, be a little bit narrower for a bit than that, and really focus on uh, what I. One of the things that we started with this is it's got to be a great game. Like even if you didn't do it physically, it's got to be a great game, um, so that. Uh, the game itself will will carry us forward um, in essence, right? And so uh, one of the things that we we have this concept of a theme. Uh, so speaking of traditionalists, this is a this is kind of a funny story. We have three themes right now. We have fantasy, mm-hmm. we have road bike, and the traditionalists love the road bike, right? And they hate the fantasy. Like, you know, why would I'm not riding my bike on a, you know this fantasy thing? Like that just hurts my head. Mm. And 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 our point was well. When you're riding on a on a road bike and and it's more like a simulation then, right? If we throw in a tractor beam power up, if we throw in some of these fun things that we're doing, like it it doesn't necessarily fit well, right? I mean it's if you're in a simulation, well there's no you know, there's no tractor beams out in the real world, right? So mm-hmm. um that seems a bit odd. But in the in the in the in the the land of fantasy, 
um, those things are incredibly fun and people really, really enjoy them. And uh, so, you know, sometimes it's a little bit different strokes for different, different folks. And we provided this theme mechanism. Well, just to sort of show off the theme mechanism, we created a mountain bike theme versus a road theme. And this sort of goes to your sort of BMX and sprint comment, um, you know, earlier in the, in the podcast. And that was just like an instant hit. It was, it was just interesting. Like hmm. it really captured people's imagination. And, and what, we, what we took away from that was, sure, we could go after running and rowing and skiing. And, there, you know, there's all these things that you can do. But there's so much to be done right in this space. And we're going to focus right here and make this incredibly good. And, and that's our focus point. Yeah, that seems interesting. And I guess that the theme or title for something for that would, would be don't be scared to do something new. And I think even though esports is a new market, if you're tying yourself too hard to traditional sports, and especially that could be easy for you to do, considering you know, you're know you so close to it, that then you fail to innovate, right? And then it's up to someone else to come in and, and take over. So it's really interesting to see you testing out these things. And I guess if I was to see a traditional media headline, I would definitely see it as something like cycling Mario Kart, which is, I think, is what they would call it. You know, and it's interesting um, that, that you've that you've mentioned that I think other people get that same sensation and, you know, to be honest, we um, see it a little bit different than that, but, but I, I think it's a, it's a sort of a good enunciation of what's happening, um, you know, in the space and it, it's, it's exciting times, right? Uh, you know, how you, the strategy that give you an example. So we have these strategy events where you get dealt cards, um, you know, before you take off and, they're def- they're basically power-ups and you pick a certain number of them mm-hmm. uh when they create the event you can you know pick the number that you get dealt and the number that you pick and then you know off you go into these events and so they become um what we're trying to do here is actually marry the physical and the sort of the intellectual gaming parts uh uh, in a in a blend, right? So you know if you look at most of the competitors it's mostly all about the physical effort right? It's a simulation and you're just either stronger than the other guy or you're not like, I mean, it, you know, it's pretty much that simple and they do some categorization and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And what we wanted to do was to say, no, this is a game, right? Like we want everyone to have a chance and we want everyone to have fun doing it. And it is based partially on your skill and par- partially on your physical ability. Um, and so we think there are exciting times away with that. What, what we notice is a uh, Uh, what we call flow state um, happening a lot in our game. So, uh, you know, somebody plays the game and we ask them after, how long do you think you played the game? And like a lot of other games, uh, that number will be, let's say, half. Um, It's typically about half for for people playing our game. Mm -hmm. And and so um, they're in flow state. But the interesting part about this is they were in flow state doing a physical activity, Right. I mean, that's really different. That's really special because yeah, it can be quite powerful. Right. Absolutely. And so that's where we see fitness coming from. It'll be like, hey, you're just going to get fitness just because you do this and you want to do it one more time. Mm. You want to do it one more time. Right. And you forget about the, you know, the physical aspects because you're focused on taking a corner or using the right power up at the right time or, you know, not crashing next to this, you know, avatar, you know, that sort of thing. So exciting times ahead. Mm. Yeah, that definitely sparked some interesting conversation, I think. and I'm, My mind's kind of racing at the moment about what you talked about. I guess taking a personal note, I used to play a lot of cricket and volleyball, and usually what I used to say to people, which is still kind of true to this day, is I hate running for the sake of running. It, it bores me. 
Um, I can get through it now thanks to podcasts like the Jocko podcast and, and other things of the like, which are quite engaging, or even Dr. Carl, who's a scientist. But, you know, if you're playing cricket or if you're playing volleyball, you're running and jumping and diving quite a lot, but you're not thinking about that process. And then if you can further gamify it through what you were saying, through those methods, and if people aren't even aware of, of how much they're exercising, you know, that's a fantastic, that's a fantastic positive experience for people to participate in. Yeah, and I think you probably, you know, articulated the essence uh, of the game uh, better than I did, and but that's spot on. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I and I also find that point very interesting. What you're saying is asking people how long they think they've played for, and that's something that I'll definitely be taking away into some of my research at, at events and such. And it's something that I run into now. Where in the past the goal for me was to kill time, but now the goal is almost the opposite. So I like to reflect on how long I'm playing to be able to limit my gameplay, so I can get my work done and my and my physical fitness, you know, stay up to date while, you know, being in a high pressure entrepreneurial type environment. So yeah, that's something that I've been thinking about, but you're coming at it from a very different angle, which is, which is very interesting to see, you know, promotion of people doing physical activities and physical fitness. And, you know, if you look at the way the funding and the narrative is going from the government in Australia and in America, um, there's a, there's a big push to get more kids into physical fitness. So this might be a way to, yeah, really start to push them into that space. Yes, you know, something they might actually want to do. And then, you know, again, you don't, you know, uh, you know, we all grew up, <laughs> right? So, uh, we, you know, you had those physical experiences and people have different, um, you know, aptitudes, you know, physically, and that can be kind of depressing, um, mm. uh, you know, for some and, you know, exciting for others. But, uh, and, and we can start to, this digital transformation, right, can help us in, in that space. And, and uh, because it's effort-based, uh, so I have a friend, he's very fit, and early on in this process, you know, I, I got him on the game, and, and you know, I said, okay, you know, go at it, and, and he raced for a while, and, and I said, you know, do you think you went hard? And he was like, oh, no, I don't, I don't think I went that hard, and I was like, you know, how long do you think you rode? And he's like, oh, you know, about 30 minutes. I said, well, you rode an hour, and me looking at you, like, I think you went hard. And he's like, oh, no, 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 you know, I feel good. It's all good. You know, it's lots of fun. And I said, well, let me know how the rest of your day goes. And so he called me up. Uh, this was <laughs> in the morning and he called me up and he said, I'm going home early. I'm, you know, I'm totally wiped out. Um, he said, I, it didn't even occur to me that I was actually going that hard. And um, I think that's where we start to help kids as an example. Um, just because they're so engaged in the game and, and because, you know, uh, and it's not even that you have to be competitive. You can, you know, do these so, sort of solo missions and, and things, but the, the physical aspect is part of what you're doing. It, it drives you to make the efforts. And then as we all know, if you're making the efforts, you're getting fitter. Mm. Um, in fact, I worry about the opposite with the game. We actually have what we call recovery events that won't let you go faster than a certain speed. Yeah, okay. and the reason and the reason we do that is like, hey, you don't want to go hard every day. Um, you know that'll that'll beat you down. So, mm. uh, you know, so we actually have these recovery events, and those are fun because now you just go and ride with people and talk to them, and uh, and you can't go hard, mm. <laughs> and and that's you know that's an element of what we're doing. Yeah, and I guess that follows one of the inherent issues that I talk to some people about with esports, uh, and I discovered this too as a semi-professional Counter Strike player many moons ago, is that there's not so much of a cap because it's not as physical, it's mental. So, you know, you can easily play for 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day, especially if you take into account what Koreans have been doing in StarCraft and StarCraft 2 for many years. But then that can cause a lot of issues in your outside life in the fact that you're not eating, you're not going outside or exercising 
or looking after yourself whatsoever. Um, and it's and it's interesting. You see some of those similar issues, but for the opposite way is that you know um, help me. My kids are becoming too ripped, <laughs> too jacked, and too too fit. But it can become a real issue if you're overworking and straining yourself. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and so, uh, it, you know, it's 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 a very interesting new world. And and but we can use technology. We can apply technology in ways uh, that make this more enjoyable and. Uh, you know, increased community, uh, you know, like with, you know, let's take kids as the example here since we were using them. But on these recovery days, uh, there's in-game audio, you know, not a big deal uh, for most uh, gamer types, but uh, mm -hmm. in our space it is. And, and so they can have conversations and you build camaraderie and, you know, those types of things. And then, you know, the, you know, tomorrow you race, today you take it easy. Um, you start to build these plans around, you know, how physical fitness works and, and, and that really helps to develop community. Yeah. So uh, taking a little bit of time to wrap up now, what's, what's next for, for you and, and for CVR? What's coming up in the next six months? Um, just get better and better at what we're doing. So you'll see a lot more streaming um, coming out of CVR World Cup and we've got a whole new look and we're very excited about that. Um, we have... Uh, some really interesting surprises in store um, in terms of some of the types of events that we'll be doing. Uh, we'll try and push the envelope and, you know, some may fall flat, but some may be um, really successful. So you'll see a lot of esports stuff and uh, just improvements in the overall game and, uh, you know, stability of the game and, you know, all those types of things uh, that you need to attend to in terms of, you know, executing a business. And if anyone would like to follow your journey or your company's journey online, where can they do so? Uh, the best place is CVRCade, as in C-V-R-C-A-D-E dot com. Fantastic. All right. Thanks so much for joining us today, mate. And, and for anyone listening into the podcast, you can head back to see any of our show notes, which includes our questions, any links, any links that we've talked about today or any other relevant topics at bigesports.gg forward slash 25, as in the number 25, because that denotes what the episode is today. And Frank, once again, mate, thanks so much for joining us. It's a really interesting world to see the comparison between how cycling works, how ways you're trying to fix it going into the future with the esports and, and the intersectionality between fitness, sport and esports. So thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.